0: the only way you get twenty percent off is to go to joindeleteme dot com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J o i n d e l e t e m e dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme slash etm and use code etm for twenty percent off. It's so exhausting reading article after article that have you focusing on things like giving up your daily coffee or that mid-afternoon trip to the juice bar to better yourself financially. Honestly, I think it is totally worthless and it's time to throw out that wisdom. I mean, you can skip the coffees if you really like to, but if not, have your coffee It's time to focus on achieving big financial wins, things that will lead to real savings in your bank account, like negotiating for a pay raise and lowering your cable and phone bill, big things that are actually going to put money back in your bank account. I'm Shauna Compton-Game, this is Millennial Money, and today we're talking why you should be focusing on big financial wins and not those daily coffees with Tori Dunlap. Millennial Money with Shauna Compton Games. It will expand your brain. This episode of Millennial Money is brought to you by Lincoln. Stay tuned to hear more about the well-connected 2019 Lincoln MKC. You're not going to want to miss this. Now, on to the podcast episode. Hey, so today's Ask Shauna question comes from Carly. And she wrote in a question that I think so many of us can resonate with. Been there. We feel your pain. And student loan debt is just, it's one of those types of debt that really can feel so weighty on you. And you don't know what to do. There are so many different opinions over refinancing, not refinancing your debt. There are so many different companies. You may have seen commercials for a company called SoFi. They do a ton of commercials and sporting events. If you watch any kind of sports, likely you're going to see at least a few SoFi commercials. You may get tons of information in the mail, mailed to you, and it's just confusing. What do you do? So Carly asks, I am your typical millennial with a large storm cloud of student loan debt following me at all times, and it doesn't look like the sun is going to come out anytime soon. Lately, I've been bombarded with mail, emails, and advertisements from many different companies offering refinancing for my loans. I've looked into SoFi a little bit, and it seems like it will save me money in the end, but I don't know much about refinancing. What are your thoughts on refinancing student loans? What are the benefits of it? Are there any negative outcomes from it? Again, Carly, this is a great question. And I know it can be really confusing. When I was finishing up my student loans, going to my grad school, there weren't as many options as there are now. That's going to make me sound like a really old geezer. But there weren't really that many options, I think. On one hand, it's awesome that there are so many different options and that refinancing has become really competitive, but I agree. On the other hand, it can be just really frustrating trying to figure out how to navigate this all. And I think first off, we'll start with the con. The really only major con that I see with refinancing is when you're going to go refinance federal student loans, you lose the ability for a few features that the federal loans have, such things as student loan forgiveness, if you were able to have that as an option, forbearance and deferment, you lose that. And also, you lose the ability to have repayment plans that are like the income-driven repayment plans, where they cap your payment at 10 to 20% of your discretionary income. Those are only available in federal loans. So if you refinance you lose those options. Now, that might not be a big deal because refinancing could potentially save you a lot of money. And, you know, the name of the game when it comes to refinancing is how low can you get the interest rate? And there are usually a couple of different options when you're talking about interest rate. One is fixed and one is variable. And I'm just a big fan of fixed interest rates. I don't I can't tell you, honestly, too many stories of people that went with the variable interest rate option that are super happy with it, including my husband. (laughs) It's just, um, and by the way, he made that decision before we were married, it's just not a great option when you're in the interest rate climate that we're in now, where the interest rates keep rising and rising. That just means your payment's going to keep going up and up. So I'm a big fan of a fixed interest rate. It's usually going to be a higher starting off interest rate than the variable option, but you're going to thank yourself in the long run because you're going to have a payment that you always know is going to be consistent. And another thing with refinancing, you got to have a good credit score. And likely if they're sending you all this information and you're just being bombarded, you probably have a very decent credit score, And you're also going to need to show proof of income to to pack up the loan. So it's a little bit different than when you're applying for a federal loan. It feels like everyone and their brother can get a student loan. But when it comes to refinancing, because these are private companies, they have different loan requirements, different regulations uh, per each company. And so they're going to evaluate you a little bit differently than if you were applying for the federal loan. But I always suggest do yourself a favor. And this goes for almost anything financially. Look at least at two different companies for comparison. My goal is always three companies, but two I think is the bare minimum. And you can get an offer from these companies and all the details before you give the final yes. So you can really compare your options and you can also compare them against your federal loans that you have now. And at least you've got everything laid out on the table and you have some method for looking at interest rate versus interest rate, payment versus payment. How long is it going to take me to pay off these loans? Is there any extra money in my budget that I can put towards the loans? If I refinance them, is it going to help me pay off the loan quicker? These are all things that you can figure out really easy once you know what that interest rate offer is going to be. So again, I would would at least look at two different companies if you're comparing refinancing And if the things like student loan forgiveness and forbearance, deferment, all those things don't particularly matter to you, you're just looking for, I want to get the best interest rate, the lowest payment, and pay these loans off super fast, then refinancing might be a great option. I know so many different people who have refinanced their student loans, and they are so happy. They've had great results. They've lowered their payment, which just means they're able then to put even more money onto their student loan payment to get them paid off even faster. And I think that's really the key when you're looking at refinancing is, is there a way that you can get the payment lower than what you're paying now so you can put that excess amount that you're used to paying towards your student loan to just accelerate the payment? You don't have to go crazy. You don't have to put every single cent towards paying off your student loans, but I think psychologically speaking, if you know that you've locked in the lowest rate possible, and that you're that you have devised some strategy to get them paid off quick. It really goes a, goes a long way towards your confidence, towards your money mindset, and just feeling like you've done something positive. So that would be my my guidance if you're looking at refinancing. There really isn't a right or a wrong decision. It, it depends on your situation, what kind of interest rate offers you can get compared against the interest rate that you're already at. So those are the factors that I would look at if I was refinancing my student loans, hope that helps. Hope that helps a lot of people uh, because I know it is confusing and it's just, it's really hard to figure out what is the right decision. And that goes for almost everything financially. There's so many times where I have just scratched my head, even being a CFP where I'm trying to analyze, okay, do I do this or do I do this? Do I do that or do I do this? And Sometimes you you just have to make a decision and go, okay, I have done enough research and due diligence that I'm just going to pick an option now. And I'm just going to go with that option. If it's not the right option, I'll switch. So, you know, with that in mind, the last thing I'll say is when you do refinance your student loans from federal loans, you can't go backwards. So once you've refinanced them with a private company, That is the direction you will go forward. Now, you can refinance them again if there's another company that offers even a better rate, but you can't move them back to the federal loan status. Hope that helps. So I am so excited about today's podcast. This was such a fun episode to do with Tori Dunlap. She offers such a unique perspective on how you can achieve these big financial wins while she also shares her money story and some lessons she's learned along the way, it was such an exciting episode, and I love talking about money with somebody that is as excited, as enthusiastic as I am, and really committed to, to figuring out ways to change our mindset around money, but also to help people think about their money in a different way, and I think. I, all of these ideas and people and strategies and tips and you name it that I try to bring to the podcast, it's just trying to figure out a way maybe where something resonates with you, something unlocks little channel in you or, you know, you find a little like something that that is said on the podcast, you're like, yes, that's it. I get it. I get it. And it motivates you to go out and make change. And that is certainly what Tori is going to do on this episode. She is founder of Victory Media, which is a personal finance and career platform for millennial women. She's a marketer, a blogger, a speaker, a coach. You name it, she's done it. She started her career with landing a digital marketing contract worth tens of thousands of dollars and a full-time position as the head of marketing communications for a global security company, interesting, all before she turned 22. She now leads the digital marketing and growth at Tomorrow Ideas, which is a financial tech startup. We've had them on the podcast, absolutely love everything about tomorrow. So basically, Tori's got some knowledge bombs she's going to drop on us today. Introducing a vehicle that listens and responds to you, the well-connected 2019 Lincoln MKC. With Amazon Alexa enabled with Sync 3 AppLink, you have access to all the skills and services that you already enjoy on your Echo. Alexa is activated by the sound of your voice and responds using your car speakers. Learn more at Lincoln.com slash Wondery. Available via iPhone with Sync 3 with software version 3.0. Commands may vary by phone and Apple Inc. software. Don't drive while distracted. Use voice-operated systems when possible, and don't use handheld devices while driving. iPhone is a trademark of Apple Inc. registered in the U.S. and other countries. So Tori, I am so excited to have you join us on the podcast. I think we're going to have just an amazing discussion. So thank you so much for being here. So tell me, I want to start off, you know, there are so many different listeners that are living in this kind of constant paycheck to paycheck cycle. And the topic of today's podcast are focusing on those big financial wins and not, you know, the small daily coffee purchases. I'd love to know, what's the power? What do you think is the power behind focusing on those big financial wins? Yeah, so there's a lot of shame we feel around money, right? A lot of shame
1: we feel around our purchases, around our debt. Around how much we do or don't spend. And a lot of that shame, I think, comes from these purchases that we make that are not necessary purchases. Um, So, like you said, the daily coffees, uh, the dinners out, the, you know, just the things we spend money on on a day to day basis. And this is not to say that, you know, cutting back on those things won't make a difference because it definitely will. If you're eating out, you know, multiple times a week, and you cut that down to maybe once or twice a week, that's going to have, you know, a big impact on your finances. But we hear a lot about, you know, don't drink coffee every day. And, you know, these purchases, although they are, they can incrementally add up, they're not going to make or break you as a wealthy or non-wealthy person. (laughs) You know, a $3 coffee is not going to make a difference in the grand scheme of things. So cutting back to the point where, you know, you're either depriving yourself or it's just, it's just not feasible. Doesn't really make sense. So other people have talked about this before, but I really try to hone in on value-based spending. So finding things that you really want to spend money on. So for me, like I really enjoy a good dinner out. So I'm willing to spend money on that as opposed to like a super nice pair of shoes. I will, you know, gladly pay more money for a dinner out because that's what I love, that's what I want to do, than pay, you know, a, a large amount for something else. And then, like you mentioned, the kind of big financial wins are really what's going to help you build wealth. So have you negotiated a salary? Are you calling, um, you know, your cable bill, uh, your cable company or your phone company or your insurance and negotiating a better rate? Are you moving, you know, to maybe a smaller apartment or a smaller house or getting a roommate all of these things can help you cut down you know cut back significantly on your spending as opposed to these $3 coffees you know which are not going to make or break you
0: For sure yeah I love that advice and how would you say Or what advice you would give to someone, you know, how should they define what big financial wins are for them, for their situation? Is there a process that you go through or some suggestions of how someone can actually define, you know, what are those things for them and their spending?
1: Yeah, I think it's anything that for you would be a substantial amount of money. So like I just called uh, my insurance company and, uh, you know, saved $200 a year, which doesn't sound like a lot. But over time, right, that's going to be quite a bit of money I have back in my pocket. Or, you know, I, you know, switching jobs and getting a 20% raise. You know, that's even, that's way more substantial than $200. But, you know, asking for a raise or, you know, you pay either rent or a mortgage every month. So finding ways you can lower that. So I would say I don't have necessarily a system, but finding ways where you can save a chunk of money in, you know, a reasonable amount of time. So if you break it down per hour, like say you are going to go ask for a raise. And I think most people are either underpaid or haven't, you know, had a raise in quite a while. So (laughs) I think most of us, you know, are are sitting here going, yeah, yeah, I think I should just, you know, I think I deserve a raise. So when you calculate, okay, if I spend 20 hours, say, and that's probably even too much, but say I spend 20 hours preparing for this raise and I earn 10% more money, you can calculate your hourly rate of what you just made, and then that's also setting you up for financial success later. Because not only are you making more money right now, but you've just increased your lifetime value of your wages. So you can, you know, as as you start going incrementally, you know, increase as you start incrementally increasing, you can see that okay, this is going to continue going up. Because if you start at sixty, you know, say you start at sixty thousand, you only have so much growth that can happen. Um, whether as if you start at 70, 75, 80,000, you know, you're going to continue to increase your wages from there. So I would say, you know, calculate your big wins based on like, what is, what is this going to make me per hour? Or what is this going to save in a limited amount of time? Is this a you know a big chunk of change that is not going to take that much effort?
0: And I think you make a good point. or if I'm reading between the lines, I should say, it's about being proactive too. I mean, there have been certain times in my life where I've been a little, you know, complacent or a little lazy. And then other times where I've really done the work and been super proactive. And like, just like you saved on your insurance, you know, I've saved these big chunks of money, and it may not seem like, a ton of money, but I'm a big fan of more money is more money. And you can just direct that money towards these other goals that you have or towards those dinners out that you love or whatever it is for your situation. Is, is that kind of the way you think about it too? Definitely. I mean, the $200 doesn't sound like a lot, but that was a 10 minute phone call. So I made
1: $200 <laughs> in 10 minutes, really, when you think about it. So it's those sorts of things. It's like, how can I make, you know, can, how can I save the maximum amount of money or earn the maximum amount of money and, you know, raises or side hustles or whatever that looks like in a minimum amount of time. So those are the big wins that I see. Again, like a $3 coffee a couple times a week, while yes, it would be helpful if you cut back that spending, that's not going to make you or break you at the end of the day. It's not going to make you rich or it's not going to prevent you from being rich. Really what you want to focus on is, okay, how can I make a large amount of money? save a large amount of money in a small amount of time.
0: The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, That's QUINCE.com slash ETM to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash ETM. In those moments when money is just not moving as fast as your dreams, EarnIt provides the financial momentum you need to keep moving forward. EarnIt is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. You just download the EarnIt app and verify your paycheck. It will really help the show. Talking money under podcast. Earnin' is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding? Or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's monarchmone dot slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Yeah, I love that. That's such a great message. And I, you know, it's really unique to each separate person. And so figuring out what those things are for you might be different than your best friend or your spouse or your boyfriend, girlfriend, but they can have a large impact and can help propel you forward to all those goals and, uh, you know, all the cool stuff that you like to do in life. So I love that message because we've heard too often the the skip the coffee method, and you know while that's potentially you know buzzworthy, <laughs> the the practicality of it is it's probably going to make you miserable. A if you really love coffee, and it may turn you off from really being proactive and focusing on your finances in the way that you should, and making it an enjoyable experience.
1: Yeah, and what you said I think is really key, which is if you love coffee, right? So my value based spending method is something that I find really important because like I said, I value a good dinner out. But that means with, you know, me prioritizing that spending that I don't get to spend as much somewhere else. So if you're spending everywhere in every category, you know, clothing and food out and concerts and travel and, you know, a nice apartment and this and that, then that starts to become a problem. So identifying like what (laughs) makes you happy, what, you know, what is your priority here. And if it is your daily coffee, don't let anybody shame you into not doing that. You know, it, it's about figuring out what your priorities are and then figuring out, OK, how can I afford those priorities? And that usually is your big wins. You're negotiating a salary, your um, yeah, pay raises, you're negotiating a recurrent bill, you know, finding ways to decrease your rent uh, or your, you know, a car payment or whatever that looks like.
0: Yeah. And, and speaking of career, I, uh, you shared a story on Instagram recently about, very honestly, about walking away from a lucrative job and kind of how that shaped your life. And I love what you wrote. You wrote, because I have this Public persona is someone who has their shit together. I thought it would ruin my credibility, but instead it changed my life. And I love that. I love that honesty. I mean, that's certainly something I try to bring to the podcast is just a real sense of, hey, we're all people. We all are in tough situations. Sometimes we make mistakes. Who cares? You know, it, it doesn't matter. It's what we take from it and how we then transform our lives, like that's the stuff that matters. But I'd love to know, you know, what are some of maybe the powerful lessons that you learned in this experience? And what would you tell listeners if if they were in that same type of experience?
1: Yeah, so actually, at this time last year, like almost to the day, I uh, took a job for the money that I knew my gut was telling me wasn't right for me and that I knew I wasn't going to be happy in. Um, because I ended up negotiating more, um, than what they were willing to pay me up front. So I.
0: Nice. Congrats. (laughs) Thank you. It was
1: fantastic. But, uh, everything in my gut was telling me this isn't right. And I, I got distracted by, um, by the money. Um, yeah. And, and really for me, it was like, Oh, (laughs) I'm a money nerd. So all of this money I can sock away in retirement and, you know, I can start putting more money towards my business and, um, I got distracted by all of that. I ignored the red flags and instead focused on the green and knew by the second day that it was not right. And, uh, the job ended up being so unhealthy that I had to quit after 10 weeks without another job lined up, which is like the biggest personal finance no-no. So I had a choice at that point, which was, do I talk about this publicly? Like you mentioned, and like, you know, I, I posted on Instagram and I've, you know, talked about the story before, um, you know, do I do I admit that this is what happened? That I got distracted. I took a job that I knew I wasn't going to love, and I took it for the money. I didn't trust my gut, and now I'm unemployed. Uh, I have a public persona, and maybe a small public persona, but it is public, and so I made a choice that I was going to be vulnerable and I was going to share it. And for me, that was a really risky decision. I was, you know, and and hopefully still am a person who you know is is guiding people through their money, um, mindset and their career. And I was afraid it was going to hurt my credibility by sharing the story. And instead it ended up literally changing my life, changing my business. And I've gotten multiple messages from a variety of different people who said that my story has helped them either quit their own unhealthy job and then later get a, you know, one that they love and one that they're thriving in or, um, you know, just influencing the way that they're thinking about their career. So I ended up being unemployed for the first three months of this year, which was really scary. Um, Luckily I had an emergency fund, which is probably the biggest piece of advice I have to anybody in their 20s and 30s and beyond. But um, having an emergency fund allowed me the opportunity to be able to leave. Uh, It gave me the freedom to leave this unhealthy job that I didn't want to spend another second in. So I cataloged all of this. I talked about this publicly. My, relief at quitting this job, uh, my fear of being unemployed, uh, my, you know, my job search, I talked about all of this publicly. And it ended up, like I said, just changing my life. The power of vulnerability, especially public vulnerability, is so incredible. Um, And it really brought people uh, closer, closer to my brand, closer to my business, uh, because they saw me as a real human being who sometimes makes decisions that she's not proud of, and that are mistakes. So if anybody else is out there in a similar scenario, start saving an emergency fund. That's my first piece of advice because it really does give you the freedom to get out of the situation that you don't want to be in, whether that's an unhealthy relationship or like me, an unhealthy job, or just something happens. You know, you get a flat tire and you can't afford it. You get an unexpected medical bill. You have an emergency fund that allows you the freedom to not worry as much and to be able to make decisions in order to get out of bed you know, bad and sticky situations. Trusting your gut is so, so important because uh, your gut is the best indicator, your best barometer as to whether a decision is right for you. So when you go into any sort of big decision, you know, your gut is going to let you know if if that's going to be right for you.
0: And I think that's great because, you know, too often social media maybe is not used for good things. But, you know, when you can use it to share your story, and even if there's just one other person out there that resonates with it, that that can feel like, okay, she went through this. She was bold and brave and decided to step away from a career that paid a lot of money because she knew it wasn't right. Maybe I can do the same thing. And of course, that's not for everybody listening. Not everybody's in a situation where they feel that way. But I think a lot of us might find ourselves at one time or another, really having to choose between the money and is this the right job career for myself? Yeah. And at the end of the day, jobs are about the money, right? If they stopped
1: paying you, you wouldn't show up. But you also, this is where you're spending eight plus hours a day for five days with people that you hopefully enjoy being around and a boss that is hopefully supportive and you know will advocate for you and fight for you and be a great resource and a mentor for you. And I didn't have really any of those things at this job. And I thought the money would be enough to cover that. I thought, okay, well, even if this is so-so, you know, I'll be making a good salary. And it ended up, you know, not being tolerable. And so when I took my next job, which I absolutely love at a company that I'm so passionate about with people that I love and a boss that's incredible, I took, you know, a $10,000 pay cut. And I was willing to do that. I was so willing to do that. So when you're when you're going through the process of choosing a job, obviously it is about the money it is about the benefits, but it also you have to factor in your happiness, your day to day uh you know tolerance for situations that may not be healthy so that's one thing I learned is of course it's about the money it's about the benefits, but it also should be a great environment where you can thrive
0: and you talked about the importance of emergency fund, which of course I talk about all day long, because it has been my saving grace in so many different situations. But I mean, wouldn't you say like that in itself, saving for emergency fund, I mean, that's a big financial win. And if you can find ways your two hundred dollars insurance or whatever it is, and then put that in your in your emergency fund. So you have those options. You can buy yourself the three months or however long it is if you need to step away from your job or choose another direction. You have that that option. And I
1: advise that is the first thing you save for before you start, you know, paying off debt, before you save for a down payment on a house. Like get an emergency fund together, even if it's just a1,000 dollars. Uh, I think I, I shouldn't pull this percentage out of nowhere. I think it's 40 percent of Americans can't afford like an unexpected $600 expense. It's something like that, but there's a really big chunk of people who are, are not prepared should something happen. And again, an emergency can be pretty much anything that's unexpected. So first priority should be, even if it's like10 dollars a week or even less than that, anything you can save towards an emergency fund is going to be so important in giving you some sort of financial security. So before you start paying off debt, before you start, you know, saving for a down payment or a car or whatever that looks like, get a chunk of change together where you feel like you have at least a little bit of freedom to make decisions.
0: Right on. (laughs) I'm giving you a high five over the podcast. (laughs) Absolutely. Right back at you. I
1: just did it. Yeah, (laughs)
0: right on. And I love, you know, you're also an advocate for fighting, particularly for women's financial rights. And, you know, I've faced quite a lot of hurdles running my own business, really, since I was in college. I've been an entrepreneur. But I'd love to know, you know, what are some of the hurdles that, that you're really passionate about? Fighting against for women? What are some of the things that you see over and over again where you feel like it is an injustice?
1: Yeah. I mean, do you have like six hours? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say one of the biggest things we talk about the wage gap a lot, like we should, and we should, you know, it's definitely a thing. We should continue talking about it. But what people don't realize is not only is there a wage gap, there's an opportunity gap, there's a wealth gap. And there's an investing gap. So if you already make, assuming we're white women, if you're a woman of color, it's even worse. You make 70 cents to a man's dollar. You're already making less money. And then women, we're less likely to invest. We consider it more risky. We usually don't know how to do it because we're never taught that. and We're taught it's not our place. So we won't invest that money or we'll wait longer to invest it. So we take this already smaller amount of money and wait longer to invest or don't invest at all. So that money is not making money. And then we live on average seven years longer than men do. So we are left with less money to live longer. So my big thing is how do we close these gaps? How do we get women more opportunities, more you know wealth, better wage equality, and how do we give women tools to learn how to invest their money? So that's one thing that I'm really passionate about is how do we educate women on investing? It's not complicated. It doesn't have to be like trading stocks. We're told as women that, you know, the stock market and investing is like buying, you know, 300 shares of Amazon or Dunkin' Donuts or whatever that looks like. And it's not, it can be, but that's the complicated, like risky arena. Instead, the mutual funds, the retirement plans, the, You know, the things that are low-hanging fruit when it comes to investing are things that we, uh, and hopefully myself, are giving women more resources on because we really need it. Um, The second thing is that a lot of women don't understand what they're worth and they aren't willing to fight for it because, again, we're told as women to be docile, to not, you know, rock the boat, to not shake anything up because we're so afraid of losing what we have already. So if you're in a job and you know you're being underpaid, you're so afraid to ask for a raise because you're afraid you're going to be fired for it. Or I work with brands and bloggers and online entrepreneurs, women who are, you know, similar to you who are doing their thing full time online. And I notice literally every single one is undercharging themselves, is undercutting themselves. and They're so afraid of losing opportunities, or they're just not talking with each other about, hey, what are you charging? What are you negotiating? So I'll see bloggers who want to work with brands, and they will accept something that's so low because they're like, oh, I just want to work with them, and I don't want to lose this opportunity. I, in my nine to five, do digital marketing and influencer relations. So I am on both sides of it, both as the person, you know, who's working with brands and as the brand who's working with bloggers and influencers. And you can push back. Like the worst thing that they're going to say is, Hey, that's out of our budget. And then you can find some wiggle room where hopefully you both can meet in the middle, but asking for more, like you will not lose this opportunity. A brand is not going to come to you and be like, that's too much money. How dare you? And I'm done like they're not going to do that. The worst thing they're going to do is say, "Hey, that's a little more than we were looking for." And then you can come back and say, "Great, let's figure it out together." So, this has, you know, I can talk about this forever, but I think the two biggest things are all the gaps we face as women and giving women resources and education in order to, you know, learn what resources are there. So, you know, understanding how to invest, understanding the importance of that, understanding, you know, which savings accounts to choose that have a high return, giving women resources, I think is so important in order to close all these gaps. And the second is Mm -hmm. being willing to negotiate what you're worth. And negotiations are not scary. We hear the word negotiate and we think conflict. It's not conflict. It's a collaboration. And at the end of the day, you both should be getting what you want, both you and the person on the other side of it. So advocating for yourself because no one else is going to do it for you. Like a lot of women, see. now I'm on a rant.
0: (laughs) I (laughs) I, I let you out of the gates. (laughs) I'm on a rant.
1: But a lot of women think, oh, if I just work hard and I, you know, I keep my head down and I just push, 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 somebody will see I'm doing good work. And sometimes that happens. But most of the time it doesn't. Uh, A company is not going to, you know, Bequeath you out of nowhere this this humongous raise that's coming out of their bottom line because you're doing a good job. Like that's just that's that very rarely happens. The person who has to be your hype like your hype man, your hype woman is you. You have to advocate for yourself. You're not going to lose an opportunity. You're not going to lose your job. You're not going to lose a job offer. By negotiating,
0: I think that's such a powerful message. And it reminds me, I was reading this article yesterday that's kind of floated around social media. You may have seen it. It was uh, written by an executive, a young female executive who works for, I believe it was H, uh, she works for a bank. I don't remember which one specifically, but it showed her whole schedule from, she literally wakes up at 5.30 and like everything she does from, yes, from- from working out, from working out twice a day, you know, her green smoothie to run all over the place. And then she's works in the nonprofit. And then she does this. And then she does that, you know, before she finally lays her head down at night. And while that's great, and many of us have, you know, busy days, because we're following our passions. I think, you know, what I took away from that is, and what I try to have conversations with my husband and, and other guys in my life is, I think, as women, we just have this like chip built in us that we have to work harder, or that things are going to be harder for us. Or like you said, like we don't ask for the raise, or we don't ask certain questions. And it's just again, this is probably another six hour rant on my part. But it's so fascinating to me that 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 we come, you know, predisposed like that. And we see it all around us, but we just recognize it as well, that's just the way of life. That article is complete bullshit. Like, it's complete bullshit. And what really
1: upset me about it was to your point about like having this chip wired in us of working harder. We're also told literally from like ages two, three, four as women that, you know, the quote, have it all. Like, you're at some point going to be responsible for having this demanding career for also raising, you know, 2.5 children and, you know, doing this and doing that and doing this. And you're, you know, you're supposed to make it all look easy. And that is just crazy. That's nuts. Like the expectation we put on women to have their entire lives together, to not take any time from themselves, but still look incredible all the time. Like I just have this image of this woman, right? she's in a pencil skirt and she's got her little black laptop bag and she's, you know, hailing a cab in New York, right? It's that kind of like, she's put together all the time. And also she raises children and, you know, is, you know, is still able to come home and cook dinner for her husband, but also either runs a successful business or is an entrepreneur or, you know, whatever this looks like. And it's crazy. It's bonkers. It's nuts. The expectation we have for women. And especially financially, right? The financial stress of that is is overwhelming and good for her if she's able to make it all work. But I think that is really unhealthy. That's why I think it's bullshit. I think it's really unhealthy to paint this picture that I'm an entrepreneur and I wake up at 4 a.m. and I drink my lemon water before running 60,000 miles. And then, you know, I go to my job, you know, and I've checked email and I've sent emails to my assistant by five and I'm in work (laughs) at six and I don't go home till seven, but yet I still can come home and, you know, do all the things I need to do. And then I sleep for four hours, but that's enough for me. Like, it's just, it's not healthy, (laughs) not healthy. Yeah. I,
0: I, I, like I said, we could both probably go on like a whole six hour tangent on that, but I, I think that's really important. Oh,
1: I, could, I could rant for days. Yeah. And
0: I, and I I know that's what you're doing with your own company, with your own blog, uh, Victoria Media. Tell me a little bit about that and kind of how that took shape and, and some of the things I would imagine you focus big on fighting for women's financial rights.
1: Yeah. So I kind of birthed Victory Media because I had a really great financial education from my parents. I actually started my first business when I was nine. I ended up owning 15 vending machines by the time I graduated college or excuse me, graduated high school and uh, all the profits went to my college fund. Uh, And then I later sold that business to a 10 year old who also happens to be named Tori, (laughs) but that's a whole, that's a whole other story. (laughs) Um, So not only I, I knew that kind of having my business was rare, but I thought that everybody knew, okay, don't overcharge your credit cards, negotiate budget. I thought that was a given. And for Uh, A lot of my peers, especially a lot of women, it's not like I had a really great financial education for my parents that I only realized when I started talking with women about money. So I started Victory Media to have more conversations about it and to give resources and actionable takeaways for women, how exactly to negotiate scripts on how to do it, um, you know, providing you know, ways that you can better your finances in under 10 minutes. We're all very busy. You know, we got to wake up and drink our lemon water at 4 a.m. So, you know, we need actionable things that we can do where we can feel, okay, here's this huge mountain that's my finances and I can start chipping away at it. So my biggest passion and what I think I was put on this earth to do is fight for women, especially for the financial equality of women. I think everything that we are fighting for in terms of equality comes back to money. Money is power. And we, you know, hear that phrase and we think, okay, well, power is, is, you know, uh, you know, capitalism and it's, and it's dangerous and it's not good, which is true, but it's also power in all of the ways that we can progress towards a better society. So if we have money, you know, and if we have, you know, equal opportunities to make and earn and save more money, we are giving to organizations we believe in and, you know, powering other women to go out and, you know, make better decisions as well. So I think everything we're looking for in terms of equality, whether that's, you know, in the home, in the workplace, in society, all links back to as soon as we get financial equality, everything changes. So my big thing is, how do I give resources to women in order to start making changes financially in their lives? So I do that through my blog. I speak at different events, including on podcasts like this one. I coach women. I do workshops uh, and panels and and in-person, you know, workshops. And the big thing is for me and and what I've realized over the past month is that um, I really want to start getting in front of more women. I can tell you on my blog to negotiate. I can tell you to invest. And you may go, oh, yeah, I need to do that. And I may outline it exactly how to do it. But your likelihood of actually completing that is very minimal. So what I'm really making an effort towards, um, and this is especially going to be in 2019, is getting in front of women and having real
0: conversations and providing actionable resources. That's so fantastic. I love that. So, if you could leave the listeners with just one piece of money v- advice today, what would that be? What would you tell them?
1: That's tough.
0: Oh, uh, just one I think I started the, the you know this conversation with you talking about
1: shame, and that's something that uh has has now become something I discuss all the time, especially with the story about taking the job for the money and feeling shame and embarrassment around that. Um, we feel a lot of shame as women about a lot of things um. And the shame around money is the same shame we feel around food and our weight. So I find myself, if I eat a donut in the morning, I go, okay, I need to be great the rest of the day. So I have salads, I have vegetables, and I'm like, okay, it all evens out. Or if I've eaten like crap the entire week, I go, what's another entire pizza? Like, what does it really matter? You know? And we do the same thing with money. So we go, we're already $10,000 in debt. What's another $2,000 more or $4,000 more or $10,000 more? Or, hey, I spent a ton of money this morning or at the beginning of this week or the beginning of the month. I'm going to be really good the rest of the month. And then we feel shame if that either happens or doesn't happen. Or you feel shame for eating the donut. So you have to make choices in order to, you know, even out the playing field of like, okay, I'm going to eat a salad. I'm going to eat vegetables all the rest of the day. And that's so disastrous. (laughs) And the funny thing is, is I, I, you know, I think I'm good with money. I talk with women about money. Money is something I know really well, but I'm doing the same thing with food that I literally just described. Like that happened to me last week. I ate a donut in the morning, maybe two, maybe two donuts. And I was like, see how I'm already apologizing for it. I'm like, oh, I had two donuts. Oh gosh. So I'm going to eat, you know, eat really, really well the rest of the day. So the shame we feel is so detrimental. And it, it causes us to bury our head in the sand and to not actually do anything about it. So money is the same thing. We have this pile of debt or we spend too much. We go out to eat too much. We don't negotiate. We do all these things. And we don't want to acknowledge that we do them because it's, it's going to make us sit in our own shame and get uncomfortable that we just ignore it. And we act like it's not happening. And that is really, really harmful. So my biggest takeaway is sitting in that shame. So take a half hour this week, this month, curl up in a blanket, glass of wine if that's your thing, and go through your credit card statements. Take a look at how much debt you have. Look at how much you're saving, how much you're investing a month. See if you can increase it. Get really uncomfortable or excuse me, get comfortable with being uncomfortable and sit in that. Acknowledge that it's happening and make an actionable strategy about how you can change it. The more you bury your head in the sand, it's called the ostrich effect. The more you bury your head in the sand and refuse to look at what's not working, the more that's going to continue and it's just going to snowball and get worse. So make yourself a safe little space and acknowledge, okay, here's what's not going well. Here's what I am doing well, and here's how I can be better. So, making that a habit, whether it's every week, every month, is going to be so important to changing not only your finances, but your entire mindset around money. If you're telling yourself you're not good with money, if you're telling yourself that it's too bad, I can't even acknowledge it, it's too bad, obviously, it's not going to get any better. It's never going to get better. But instead, being comfortable with being uncomfortable is going to literally
0: change not only your finances, but your entire life. That has been one of the best takeaways yet. That is such an awesome piece of advice. I think literally everybody can relate to the scenario around food and feeling guilt and shame. That is just so powerful. So, Tori, this has been so fantastic. Tell the listeners where they can find you and how they can reach out to you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm so excited to be here. Um, You can find me on victorymedia.com,
1: V-I-C-T-O-R-I. My name's Tori, so victory is spelled with an I. Uh, Victorymedia.com and all of my social outlets are linked to that as well. So I'd love uh, to have you stop by. And if you ever have a question, feel free to email me uh, directly. I'd love to chat with you.
0: Big thanks again to Lincoln for sponsoring this episode of Millennial Money Podcast. Want to learn more about the awesome, well-connected 2019 Lincoln MKC? I bet you do. Head on over to lincoln.com slash Wondery and join us back here next Tuesday for a fresh episode of Millennial Money Podcast.